1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have uh, Dr. James Babiak, and uh, he's uh, the Wisdom Tooth Doc. He's created a process for wisdom tooth extraction that uh, gives the patient a better experience than what they currently need now, and it actually avoids the need for addictive opioid medications, you know, oxycodone, oxycontin, et cetera, which, you know, my family's had some personal experience with, as I'm sure to a lot of listeners and they're terrible. They're like deals with the devil taking those things. So if anyone can uh, create a process to take out wisdoms, he's without them, that's, that's a great thing. So that's why I'm talking to him. So, James, thanks for coming. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well. Thank
1: you for having me. Um, good to talk to you. Yeah. So tell me about uh, this process. How did you
2: figure it out in your work? So I am... Uh, practicing oral surgeon in Chicago suburbs. I've been doing this for about 25 years now. And what I've noticed over time is that you see cycles of of what people are doing in practice and what's going on in the world. And the thing that really has really stood out to me over the last few years is the number of people that I would see where where they're taking narcotic medication, some pretty heavy duty addictive drugs. And then you you talk you talk to them and you're in the process of determining what's going on, what you need to do. And people will will tell stories of how they started with back pain or they started with shoulder pain and their doc started them on these drugs and it's been ten years and they take four a day and six a day. And
0: mm-hmm. just
2: over time, it really, really started to see just a higher and higher number of my patients who are taking them, even people in their 20s, uh, with just long term, high dose medications. And that got me thinking with the type of stuff that I do as an oral surgeon, removal of wisdom teeth is, is a pretty big part of of our practice. And we're dealing with the average wisdom tooth patient is a kid, high school age, 14, 16, 18, in that range. Um, very many of them have have never received any strong pain medicines for anything because they're young and they haven't had anything happen to them yet. Mm. And then just reading news stories from, from a local paper and you just keep reading about about kids overdosing and dying and um the local government the county government issued a press release a few months ago about how proud they were that they only had 183 overdose deaths up to that point in that year which really got me thinking that's insane that there's that many kids dying and they're proud that it's only that many that many kids um i'm a parent i've got a Got a high school age kid and a kid in college and really got me thinking, you know, probably not a good thing for me to be prescribing these drugs. Um, And then doing some research, found actually that the research is that for very many, if not most people, their actual first exposure to narcotic medications is when they get the wisdom teeth removed. So then that really got me thinking that that on a whole my specialty people who do what I do really should be should be looking in a different direction, which then got of course me looking in a different direction. So then I developed my system to to get these kids taken care of but in a way where where they're not taking the the strong pain medicines that have kind of become I'll call it the industry standard. Um, yeah. just, that's just what everybody does. Is is they see the kid, they do the surgery, and then they prescribe these things. So I kind of grabbed the bull by the horns and took it well, upon myself to get something changed.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, you know, an experience I've had. Well, my wife had. Uh, she was in the hospital, and you know, when she got out, they gave her a prescription for like oxycontin, and you know, they gave her all kinds of stuff in the hospital, and they didn't tell her anything they didn't tell her it was addictive. They just say, here you go. Have a nice day. Yeah. Bye.
2: And yeah, it's just, you know,
1: it's just I, I, I started do. reading about it like crazy. And I saw all these stories of people that couldn't get off it. And then, and I just, I felt sick. I was like, man, this is a deal with the devil. What am I going to do? And I, you know, I talked to my wife about it right away and she was like on board with it. And she slowly got off the meds. You know, she deliberately like every three or four days, cut the dose down, cut the dose down slowly, slowly, slowly. But it was a horrible thing and she tried real hard and did it but it still took like a month and that's where the active trying and you know, I can't sure. imagine that you know a 15 16 year old kid takes it and thinks they're indestructible and they're like oh wow this feels good and they just keep taking it and before long they're hooked you know
2: some of them some of them do um some of them actually will look at it as a money making enterprise because um mm-hmm realistically if somebody has has leftover narcotics they can sell that pill on the street for 20 bucks yeah so some people some people will will just go to the street corner and sell their prescriptions just because it's a it's an easy way to make money and it didn't cost them anything their health insurance paid for for the prescription so it's all profit so that's that's the second deal with the devil that That is part of the whole problem and it's it's a nationwide problem it doesn't matter what part of the country you go to you see similar things
1: yeah they've the you know the, the medical world has made it really difficult to get it but they've totally dropped the ball in terms of education on how to handle it when you're on it and what to do and all that and they it's like you know it's not like being a diabetic but in a way it is you know like you're taking these pills you have to have an outpatient consultation is what they should do and tell you all the dangers and what to do and how to respond and how to cycle off of it and all that. And they don't do any of that stuff. Terrible.
2: Um, some of the, the chronic pain doctors will, will do stuff like that. But the majority of people writing prescriptions um, will just, they'll write the prescription and send you, send you on your way. Now, it's not because yeah. they're, they're bad people. It's because there really is no avenue for them. To actually be educated in in how they should be modifying things and and doing things differently. Mm. The medical and dental schools don't cover that. None of the associations really cover that well. Some of them will have will have narcotic education for providers, but they'll send you an email and as with many emails, it the docs don't click on it or they click on it, but they don't actually read it. So the really is, yeah. is it's just such a multifaceted problem. And I'm, I'm doing my, my thing to, to try to change things in my, my corner of that world. That's
1: great. So, all right, so let's get into the method. What did you discover? And then what have you, you know, along the way and what have you figured out now?
2: Oh, well, I looked at first, the the actual procedure when when we see a kid for for wisdom tooth extraction it's a procedure that is is done under sedation and in the standard sedation protocol that's that's one thing that that people don't realize that intravenous narcotic medications are part of the standard protocol hmm. so I I took some time and I, I modified what I was doing because you can't just eliminate one medication and do everything else the same and expect the same result. So a um, little bit of trial and error, a little change here, a little change there, and have developed it to a predictable system with with the same anesthetic result, the same experience for the patient without using that intravenous narcotic. The one that's typically used is something called fentanyl, which is one of the most addictive substances that's available. Um, Hmm. So I modified the anesthetic technique so people don't get exposed to that medication. And then you have to take it to another another step because that medication provides post-operative pain relief. So you have to to then alter the technique again in order to make sure that they have they have the same post-op pain relief and they don't wake up having discomfort. Um, so there was some modification there. Then we added some, some pre-op tissue conditioning things that we do that um, there's a gel, there's a rinse. It's things that are designed to increase the healing capacity of the tissue. So you're hitting it before you, before you do anything surgically in the area to allow the tissue to heal quicker with less inflammation and with less inflammation, they have less pain. Hmm. Then I modifying my surgical this, technique.
1: I, uh, quick, quick question. If I, if I ask you anything that's
2: proprietary, you know, just let me know. Don't worry yeah. about it. But yeah. um, the yeah. more detailed you can um, give, the better, just so you know. Yeah. That's the way the way I'm talking is a way to not give the proprietary stuff at the same time. So yeah, I thought about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, good. Uh, um, so this, the surgical technique is is also something that can get that can lead to to post op issues. So little tweak here, tweak there, and the way that the way that I'm doing things is designed to reduce inflammation. And then there's some some post op therapy. And the end result is that they go home with prescription for prescription strength anti-inflammatories. We don't prescribe any narcotics, but they don't need the narcotics. Now, Mm. there is always that chance that that, because everybody heals differently, everybody responds differently. So there's no way I could, could sit here and say that I am absolutely zero narcotic. There, there is no situation where I would not prescribe something because that's just, that's just, if someone truly needs something, then they need something. And then the goal is to, is to limit what they get. So they, they get the absolute bare minimum. So they're comfortable and able to get through their recovery comfortably. Um, and the way we do that is that, that they, they, leave after their procedure, they don't have the prescription for narcotics, but they know that if, if they're, if they're that one kid where they need something in addition to everything that we do, then if it's three o'clock in the morning, we will meet them at the office and make sure that they, that they get taken care of. The, the net results so far is that we've never actually had to meet anybody at the office and, and get them a prescription for something to, to take care of things beyond the protocol that the wisdom tooth doc protocol that that we follow. So what are some of the benefits that patients have
1: told you and that you've observed clinically?
2: Um, I I can actually give better than clinical observation. I can give personal observation. Um, my 14 year old, my youngest daughter, um, got to the point where it was her turn. She was she was ready for her wisdom teeth to to be extracted. So, um, obviously, I I've developed the wisdom tooth dog protocol. I believe in it, and I'm going to make sure that my kid is treated the same way that that I feel my patients should be treated. So we did we did everything for her exactly the same as we do any other kid. She had her wisdom teeth removed on a Friday. She had minimal swelling. She had no discomfort. She never needed anything beyond the anti-inflammatory that she was taking, even taking that. She said she didn't feel it. She didn't have any discomfort. She was just taking it for the anti-inflammatory effect. No swelling, no bruising. She went back to school on Monday and her friends would not believe her that she had her wisdom teeth out on Friday. Hmm. At a week, You, which is what I see with with the overwhelming majority of my patients, when you see them at a week for their follow-up, you look in their mouth, and it doesn't look like anything was done. The um, the way that we kickstart healing has just such a profound effect that really makes me wish that when when I had mine done, I was a little bit older. I was 21 when my wisdom teeth were removed, but it really makes me wish that that I had developed that before and. And the doc who took out mine followed this protocol because Miranda's experience was nowhere near the same as my experience. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it's, I guess I'm weird in the wisdom tooth world. I, I I didn't get any wisdom teeth until I was like 30. And I've had one that's slowly growing in for like the past 13 years. And uh, but otherwise, I'm, I'm lucky I've escaped any wisdom tooth uh, trauma. But um, my old, back my you. oldest daughter has none. So it's a oh. wide range. Yeah. So, what's your goal here? You're gonna—I mean, you're using it in your practice, but do you want to license this out to other um, other? Uh, well, not dentists, but uh, oral surgeons.
2: Um, my goal is to is to grow the wisdom tooth doc into a into a larger and larger entity and provide this service to to as many teenage kids as we can and just improve the experience every every it's anybody you talk to that has kids in high school that have had wisdom teeth they all talk about the kid with the the pumpkin phase and they're miserable for a week and i'm trying to i'm trying to change that and i'm trying to to just broaden the the scope and number of number of kids that that we can serve
1: i mean you can only serve so many so at some point I don't know, maybe I don't know if it's a patentable method or anything, but uh, at some point you know, you'd want to disseminate it to dozens and hundreds of other practitioners, so you know tens of thousands um, of people can be
2: helped. Yeah, that's as we grow, then then we look at those at the options of adding offices versus licensing versus franchising. Um, yeah, this this is something that should be a national practice, a way to. To improve the care that everybody's getting. What about for other surgeries?
1: I mean, you know, there's many surgeries out there and as many recoveries, you know, long and short and difficult. Um, and you know, what about uh, yeah, licensing the, this for other areas?
2: Um, it definitely is definitely is possible. yeah. there are some of the things that are tailored for the way the inflammatory process in the jaw works which is different than the inflammatory process in the belly. But um, just like I had to tweak to get to this point, it can be tweaked to to get to the point to to help others with other types of surgeries. There are some types of surgeries where, where stuff like that really is unavoidable, spine surgery, stuff like that. Um, the level of discomfort, there is no option available at this point. Um, but I think if we get the ball rolling and get the process started where people are looking at, at, if we can show the success to enough people and they look at, well, how are we doing it? How are we avoiding the narcotics? How can I change what I'm doing? And then, yeah, there's there definitely is a possibility of, of broadening this to all specialties and all types of procedures. And um, the drug companies might not like it but um interesting thing just this week the company that makes oxycontin is looking at filing for bankruptcy because they've had so many lawsuits they Hmm. can't afford to pay them
1: so um i guess last last question or two uh, any big surprises you had along the way in developing this method or any hurdles that really seemed like insurmountable insurmountable and uh you know, without revealing too much, I mean, what can you say about uh, what you learned? Um, well, I've
2: learned a um, couple things that that in a way surprised me, but then when I look at it, um, I probably shouldn't have been surprised. Um, as I'm as I developed the technique, I'm looking at well, we have to do this, we have to do that. So obviously, the costs increase because of the different way you're doing it. The the cost to me of doing things has increased so I was hesitant at first to roll things out because I was I was thinking that that people wouldn't be wouldn't be prepared to to cover the the additional expense um, in the back of my head I'm thinking well you know people want to minimize their out-of- pocket let their insurance cover as much as it can um, so I was kind of surprised um, but again shouldn't have been that that um, there really is a groundswell of parental support for avoiding these things and, and my patients' families look at it's what, what the standard technique involving using addictive drugs costs. this is what it costs to go down a better path and they are they're okay with that they're willing to, to, to go down the better path, which is really which is really kind of heartening. We're, we're living in a very pessimistic age. And um, so it's good to to actually get some reassurance that, yeah, people still care and people still want the best for their kids. And, and so that's a good thing. Um, other thing that, that definitely has surprised me, which is a little bit of a hurdle, is in talking to, to people that I know, other oral surgeons in other parts of the country, um talking a little bit about about what i'm doing and how i'm doing things and um seeing resistance on their part well you know it's the this is how i've always done it so this is how i'm going to continue to do it um mm. so it actually surprised me on that end that that a lot of a lot of guys who do what i do and who write prescriptions for narcotics all day every day are just planning on continuing that which really opens up a pathway for for the growth of the wisdom Truth thought practice.
1: Yeah. Well, very good. So what's the best way for, um, for people to get in touch, you know, with questions, uh, you know, maybe they want to find out right away and try to license it from you. You know, I don't know if you're ready, but, um, I should find out more. The, d-
2: the, the best way is to, to send, um, um, email to, to my manager, um, and the, the best email would be info at com. Okay. practice phone number is 815-254-1560. We are always available and always willing to, to talk to anybody.
1: Yeah, for people listening in that area that have wisdom teeth issues or family members do, they can definitely contact yeah. you. And then for people and, outside, they can email.
2: And website is wisdomteethjoliet.com.
1: Okay. Very good. Well, James, thanks for coming on the call. I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast please listen subscribe like and share it with friends thank you